Hey what's up guys this is KD Cloudy welcome to another episode of Clouds on Air if you thought i abandoned this podcast you can rest easy because uh, i am back to talk about some pop culture and by pop culture i just mean a very specific set of films which i like and even niche stuff which don't even remotely qualify as pop culture but anyway uh in uh, in today's episode i'll talk about no time to die the latest james bond outing and th- this film actually uh planted the idea in my head about starting something movie related and some something where somewhere uh where i can share my thoughts about movies because i really wanted to talk about this film and not just this film but previous james bond movies as well because i i i watched like at least i'm sorry about my phone but yeah i watched like at least 10 uh 10 of the previous james bond films uh, in preparation of this one and uh i've been watching daniel craig's films since like 2012 2013 uh since i was 12 <laughs> uh so I, i this this was like a much awaited film for me uh you know uh, I, i've been watching these films since like for a long time now i watched specter in theaters and uh, yeah i will get into all that but yeah right now no time today is like the top like the number one highest grossing film uh english language film of course uh counting at 776 million dollars worldwide which is amazing and i'm talking about box office of course um this is not the worldwide top uh, there are a few of chinese films which uh, which are at the top first and second but yeah no time today for english language films and hollywood films this is at the top again i'm sorry about the phone i'll just put it on silent yeah so this blue right past f9 and uh all the other marvel films venom dune and it's sitting comfortably at the top position which i'm really excited like and glad about because this movie was delayed like crazy and see the thing is that james bond isn't really like a very uh relevant franchise like i i, I this this movie came out 6 years after spectre Spectre came out in 2015 and in that 6 year gap we got literally a new uh like a Harry Potter spin-off duology uh, we got a Star Wars trilogy entirely and a couple of more other films we got an entire MCU phase in that period and it's it's crazy actually that long of a gap and I was a little scared being a James Bond fan that how how how, how like how much relevant would this uh, franchise be in 2021 because if you if you have watched any of the older films you know how dated these movies get and uh, the old films I have watched a few of them I haven't watched all I did watch like out of the 25 films I watched like I don't know 12 I actually skipped uh, through the rojomorera i watched only one which was levin let die i watched all of sean connery ones maybe except diamonds are forever but yeah i didn't i didn't watch never never say never again and the other casino royale i watched all of ps brosens movies i watched uh, all of or the two of uh, timothy dalton's movies and i rewatched uh, daniel craig's entire run before uh, no time today 
and uh, seeing that evolution of the character and each interpretation of the character across the movies was very fascinating nonetheless and of course the older films were uh, you know very 60s very over the top sometimes not not remotely as serious as these great films are and of course very misogynist and like it's it's a little uncomfortable and also um weird to see certain scenes at certain and certain di- lines of dialogue um but yeah that uh, i'm not going to talk about the older films uh you, you can ha- you can watch them and have your own opinion but yeah the so my my, my main opinion in a nutshell about these older films is that um first of all they're very boring because you know like those films were like 2 hours each and they didn't really quite follow a three act structure and the third act would basically take place in the last 15 minutes and the previous 30 minutes before that would be just an elaborate uh, action set piece and because these movies were made in like the 60s and 70s uh, the, the the huge set piece and all these large scale explosions and the third act battle those concepts were still very fresh and uh, these were supposed to be uh pioneering those those concepts those blockbuster concepts and because of that they they can feel a little gimmicky like uh, in thunderball uh, i just skipped through the entire underwater whatever sequence because in 2021 you you'll find much better underwater chase sequence or whatever it is but back then you have to know that this was maybe the first time they were ever shooting a big action set piece underwater or something like that and same with honor majesty's secret service which i'll get to again in a bit uh with the whole snow sequence again skip through that so in these older movies i was basically skipping through most of the um uh, the action set pieces because they don't age well but even for the plot and um the story they were fine they were fine and i got a sense of what uh, what like uh James Bond purists expect out of a James Bond movie and what actually makes a James Bond movie because up till then uh my definition and my interpretation of a James Bond movie was what i had watched uh in Skyfall or Casino Royale or any other of Daniel Craig's films so watching all that it it definitely uh, felt different and i saw that gradual progression and the 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 turning point came definitely came in uh, timothy dalton's license to kill and uh, the living daylights which i think out of all the older films those two are my favorites and uh, ps brosnan's films are also really good they sort of do like a hybrid of uh, camp and uh, they sort of do like they sort of do a hybrid of camp and the seriousness and grittiness of uh, the dalton movies so that was a good hybrid and then daniel craig just came in and just flipped the script entirely uh so we're going to talk about all that uh just a little bit though because i want to talk about no time today no uh for the film itself um i really liked it now one reason to particularly like this film is that it's a very universal film Pun intended. This movie is also distributed by Universal Studios, but that's irrelevant. Uh, what I mean by that statement is that anybody can watch this movie and have a good time. 
and i mean you don't have to have watched any of the previous films to understand it a fear which a lot of people have before going into a marvel film whether they'll enjoy it or not and uh, this this like you can this movie holds up on its own really really well you can you can understand it you can enjoy it uh without having watched specter or any of james bond films or any of greg bond's films but if you have watched them then you'll have an even better time and you'll appreciate the film even more and yeah touching on that this movie builds a lot on specter and you know the funny thing is that uh, 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 the, the funny thing about making a sequel about a film that came out so long ago and wasn't super particularly like, popular is that you cannot expect the audience to remember every single detail about it so they they it, it doesn't really rely heavily on certain plot details like it it sort of starts where it it's left off you know with madeline swan and like Leah Seydoux's character and also Christoph Waltz's character Blofeld you can you can understand that these guys appeared in the previous film but no storylines as such reoccur and that's fine you know you can you can bring back characters but as long as is uh, you don't bring back or continue certain plot points or threads uh that's fine you you can totally understand the story so and yeah here's the thing the other movies are much more realistic you could take casino royale for example that had a very grounded plot and sort of a very realistic villain and somebody who you who, with whom you can relate to right and cornosolus again you could you could say anything about cornosolus like um it's not that great but i i don't mind watching it i just skip through all the boring parts and i i basically finished the movie in like 40 minutes but anyway even that had a very realistic um tone throughout the entire film rami malek as seven is i think the weakest out of the bunch okay maybe not as weak as like i'd put it right so i'll i'll put his character portrayal right alongside with domina green from cornosolus i i just like i felt it was overdone and you're trying to squeeze out a joke like evil maniac kind of a performance out of a guy who just won an oscar um it's 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 it was weird it was weird i don't think rami malek has uh, an acting style and uh, like you it's like become a thing now you have to give him a weird accent to make his character work and not to mention that his his uh, motivations or whatever he does was never clearly illustrated in the film uh, the whole movie revolves around again is it a spoiler okay mild spoilers around a bio weapon and as far as plot points go uh, about evil plans in bond movies this is very 70s and 80s this is very um this is very pierce brosnan e ask uh, kind of a concept to bring like in a in a modern crack bond film 
and um, not really sure how to feel about that and it's it's it felt refreshing you know coming from the gritty very serious very hyper realistic uh, plot points from uh, the previous uh, crack bond films so yeah, i don't mind it i mean i'm like i'm into watch a fictional movie so you can throw any kind of like i don't care how outlandish it is if it's executed well i i don't really mind it some people did take a lot of issue with this kind of a this type of a plot point but it's fine i mean i don't care it's just the the it's just rami malek's portrayal as safin uh i i didn't quite like and even in the second time around i it just just didn't do anything for me he's barely in the movie uh, it's a long film but he's barely in this and he just did not feel threatening at all you know um so like even like javier bardem's uh silva and uh, mads mikkelsen's le chiffre are basically my top two uh, villains and you you cannot beat them obviously but um yeah this wasn't any better than Christoph Waltz Blofeld as well uh, so yeah that, that 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 was basically the only part which i did not like in the entire film and uh, yeah apart from that this film was an absolute blast i could watch this a third time if i want to in uh, it's still playing in some theaters in my area so that's pretty nice so when i was preparing for the movie like getting all hyped up in like the middle of september i was in my peak hype train for james bond it was like a complete 3 4 week 5 week phase i was going through you know watching all those older movies and uh, watching a ton of uh, bond related edits videos from like 2011 2012 uh all those uh, old videos showing up on my feed it was a fun time it was a fun time and i really uh, you know browsing through uh, i was browsing through the james bond subreddit understanding what other fans like and understanding some of the norms and some small character details trivia and easter eggs and that uh, you know and picking on things which i didn't pick up on pick on before and picking up on new things in Uh, upon rewatches uh, on stuff which i did not notice before all that was pretty amazing and in that process i i uh, what i understood is that daniel craig's bond basically reinvented the character and reinvented the franchise um i i had watched all these films uh, like at least one for each actor actor's portrayal and all of them had a pretty basic structure all the way from 1962's doctor no and uh, ps brosens die another day roughly they are the same okay maybe not doctor no since this was like very very early but yeah like from goldfinger to uh, die another day there, there have been a lot of uh, like a basic basically like a template like a recipe of what a bond film should be like uh and there were you know they they experimented with the tones in the 70s you know with um, Roger Moore's much more campy bond which wasn't serious at all then they got a little more serious down the line like i said before but yeah 
in the in the nineties, maybe they, maybe the producers thought this is not going to work in the in the two thousands. So they completely reinvented the franchise with this. And Casino Royale, that's why. Uh, like, if you watch Casino Royale right after you watch Die Another Day, you you can't even tell these are supposed to be from the same franchise. And these these two movies are only split like four years apart, less than the time gap between Spectre and No Time to Die. That's the four years is not long. And uh, uh, it's it's a, it's a totally like something really out of the box. A lot of the things have changed. Um, you don't get the existing characters that you love. You don't have like like uh, Miss Moneypenny or Q. They're not there. And uh, you 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 give Bond a love interest. You give uh, you you show you basically show the origins of Bond, which had never been done before. You show. Uh, you dial down on the uh, womanizing and the misogynistic parts, uh, and you focus more on his job and how uh, what kind of a person he is. Like he's just a cold-blooded assassin, and it did an excellent job of doing that. The uh, minimal gadgets, uh, and even even uh, the film, the film didn't even do a traditional gun battle at the start of the film. It they sort of weaved it in into the story, which. I absolutely love. I don't know why they did not stick to that, um, but yeah, it would have been great if they did it in Coromosolus. And there is a very good fan edit going on about uh, on YouTube, uh, which uh, edited the uh, the gun battle into the story in the the cold open of uh, Coromosolus, which is epic. So definitely check that out it's by a user called bright slash uh, but yeah um yeah totally reinvented the franchise quantum Souls also sort of built on that skyfall also built on that uh serious stone uh a little bit of homages but yeah totally different from the pre older movies and uh by 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 skyfall you had sort of set a precedent of what daniel craig's bond should like what to expect from a Bond movie in the 2010s, and Spectre also sort of built on that, but it sort of went back into the older ways. And No Time to Die just goes like full throttle into the older ways. And what I mean by going into the old ways is that you know there are certain scenes and certain uh, tonal choices which are very reminiscent of. What they did in the 90s and early 2000s, and even the 70s, 80s. Uh, one good example is Q showing Bond around all his gadgets and stuff, and giving an elaborate explanation about all the outlandish gadgets and all that stuff. That's 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 textbook James Bond stuff. And Skyfall and Spectre did bring back Q, but you know, you the the whole gadget and tech sequences were very 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 toned down there there were barely any gadgets in skyfall there were barely any gadgets in specter and this 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 movie went in heavy and i was really really happy with that like like somebody somebody who just watched these older movies and you you could see the parallel threads and the homages and the easter eggs uh small like small stuff in the background the cars and number plates 
all these things which were brought back from the old films, these Easter eggs. And uh, me being a trivia nerd, I absolutely love those things. You know, uh, you, you, like Pierce Brosnan's Bond would crack a, a joke or a, or a quip every every single scene or so, something like that. Uh, he was very heavy on quips, especially puns and like innuendo dialogue, all that stuff. Daniel Craig's Bond rarely ever does that. You 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 won't see him do that. You you can see him do that once in Casino Royale when he says says that last hand nearly killed me. It, that was pretty cool. It was pretty clever. But he never does it in a very silly way like uh, Brosnan did. In this film, he does. There's a lot of jokes here, and Bond talks a lot in this film. He talks a lot more than he used to do in Casino Royale or Quantum or in Quantum Solace or Skyfall. And that that sort of made me realize how it's it's not like they're taking a dip, different approach in this one, but with each single film, Daniel Craig's Bond also evolves and becomes less serious. Um, in the first film, he was absolutely very cold-hearted, very cold-blooded. He wouldn't even blink twice. He wouldn't flinch before killing a person. He was very serious about his job. Um, okay, maybe not that serious, but now he's very comfortable with it. Even Inspector, he was very comfortable with it. You know, stealing cues, uh, DB10, Aston Martin, and leaving behind a champagne bottle. Casino Royale's Daniel Craig wouldn't leave behind a champagne bottle. He was just not nice like that. And yeah, and by no time did I, this version of James Bond feels a lot more human. And the scene where uh, he goes back to Vesper, Vesper's grave in, in this film gave me chills, to be honest. Um, so, yeah. And also, fun fact, something I realized is that apart from Daniel Craig, there is not one single actor or character reprising their role fr like from Casino Royale in No Time To Die. There's absolutely no one. There was Mr. White and Jasper Christensen in Spectre, but he killed himself in Spectre. So yeah, there's absolutely no common uh, actors between the first film and the last film, which is kind of a rarity. Uh, but yeah, again, just a fun fact, random trivia. Uh, let's talk about the music. Uh, while I was binging through the older films, uh, I really noticed the score. I really like the classic John Barry arrangement of uh, John Barry's arrangement of the Bond theme. Very 60s, very retro. You could also say very mainstream, but I like it. There are also other renditions of, of, of film-specific themes which became very iconic later on, uh, particularly on Her Majesty's Secret Service's main theme, which did not have any lyrics. And you have, of course, I particularly liked License to Kill and The Living Daylights, their opening songs, and as well as their themes. Um, then in the Pierce Brosnan era, uh, who was it? David Arnold took the reins into the James Bond a music world and he delivered some absolutely amazing pieces of music and score 
for James Bond, some which are still being, you know, associated with James Bond today. And he he scored every single Bond film since 1995 to 2008 up till Quantum of Solace, uh, and then he didn't return. The next two films score was done by Thomas Newman, because Sam Mendes always works with Thomas Newman. Um, and yeah, now this movie is scored by Hans Zimmer. Now I was a little disappointed. Now I haven't listened to these uh, scores since 2015. Like like around, uh, I really got into the Bond franchise when Spectre came out. So like 2015. So I was a really huge fan of uh, David Arnold and his uh, well, the the stuff he did in Bond and. I would I I have added those like particularly some tracks to in into my Spotify and I listen to them regularly. They're that good and I like them so so much. Especially Blunt Instrument from Casino Royale and uh, one more other Dinner Jackets. I absolutely love them. And uh, he has made some very iconic you know motifs which I think returned in this film. And Hans Zimmer did a really good job in. Uh, in paying homage not to just the uh, the character and Hans Zimmer really did a great job by not making these new motifs but bringing them bringing a few motifs back which people really remember or at least uh, subconsciously associate to with these previous films into this particular film so they have that sense of continuity and they can relate to it especially uh, on a majesty secret service that particular motif is there and uh, we have all the time in the world uh, that that song was also from on a majesty secret service that also had a motif somewhere baked in and i might be taking a crazy pill over here but um dinner jackets motif was there in in uh, in one track as well which i am forgetting but yeah there are plenty of recurring motifs from previous films uh, from the early 2000s, uh, the 60s, 70s spread throughout this uh, track, these, this this album. And I absolutely love them as a Bond fan and all, all the Bond fans really appreciate it. So some people were really concerned about, you know, uh, not bringing back David Arnold. But again, Hans Zimmer is good at his job. So that was not a problem at all. I honestly don't have anything else to add about uh, the plot of the story, but it's just, it was a great time. And yeah, there's one spoiler detail, which I'll discuss at the end. Uh, but before that, I would like to talk about the cinematography of, of not just this film, but uh, all of the Daniel Craig Bond films. So all of them were shot on 35mm film. Casino Royale, Cormos Solace, uh, Spectre and No Time to Die. The exception being Skyfall. Uh, Skyfall was the, I guess it's it, it's the only one which is shot in 2K um, on an Arri Alexa digital camera by the great Roger Deakins himself. And yeah and i think that's easily the best looking bond film out of out of the mall casino royale does have good cinematography but it's it doesn't feel modern 
it has that mid 2000s aesthetic to it uh so yeah it, and it, it has a greenish tint to it whenever i think of it i just think of the color green uh but yeah skyfall has a very um you know distinct act by act and location by location different color palette for all these certain sections of the film which flow in a serial manner that was good uh cornosolus i don't really have anything um you know particularly um significant to say about it except that it's uh, like if i have to comment on its uh, technical proficiency as a film of course it's 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 <laughs> it's edited poorly but i would say that the opening sequence is something i like um the way it transitions to it and skyfall was again similarly i i liked its opening credits but it, it definitely has the best cinematography out of the bunch no offense to hoyt van hoytema or uh, you know lina sandgren but you know it's roger deakins man uh, it's roger deakins uh, specter also has good cinematography but i think it's just too desaturated and the colors are too muted it definitely has a tasteful vibe to it but it's just too bland to be honest coming from the good contrasty senses it just feels too dull and desaturated and you know coming from skyfall's rich and contrasty color palette it just it feels it feels a bit of a letdown but again in like technically it's good and this film i think uh, yeah i really like that as well it's definitely it has it's definitely more more contrasty than uh, specter's color palette and you know it takes place in so many different locations and every single location has its own uh, vibe and sort of a theme to them so i think that was conveyed really well and of course we have to talk about imax now imax advertises no time to die as the first born film uh, which fills their screen and has that aspect ratio and i mean technically it's true it, it was it's actually shot with real imax 70mm and 65mm cameras so if you watch this in a real big 1.43 screen it's going to it's going to alternate between all three aspect ratios so that's cool um i and i did watch this in an imax theater uh, but i was and the entire cold open was in imax and also the cuba sequence was in imax but none of the finale was uh none of the third act was in imax so that was a bit of a letdown but that's okay um but yeah i was in a regular digital imax theater so i couldn't tell a difference between what 70mm what 65mm uh but here's the fun fact uh this is actually not the first film to expand to 190 uh that was actually skyfall now i don't know if i've said this before but roger deakins doesn't uh, like imax's colors or uh, the processing they do to upscale your film prints or your your digital intermediate to for for the big imax screens uh he 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 had, he had some issues with it, with it so he did a custom transfer and i think some part of the deal was to 
show all his uh, the entire entirety of the film in the in the full IMAX 190 expanded aspect ratio so he shot basically he shot the entire thing in 16 by 9 and then cropped and cropped it to IMAX and you know theatrical so yeah those are things you get to know if you, if you jump into a rabbit hole uh and you're just feeling adventurous yeah again uh, these are pointless trivia but if you find these interesting you know i appreciate you and yeah so so all of all of roger deakins films ha- have give, go, gotten that treatment so I, i i honestly i would much rather rewatch skyfall in imax uh compared to no time to die again uh, i mean yeah it's bit of a it's a bit of a controversial opi- opinion but skyfall is a pretty good film uh so w- what would i rank no time to die in in the entire film slate i would say that I mean obviously Casino Royale is at the top. And I and I'm only talking about Craig Bonds over here. I haven't watched all of the entire older films. And um so yeah, I I'll just I'll just work with that. Casino Royale is at the top. And I'll put No Time to Die at the second position, then Skyfall, then Spectre, and then Quantum of Solace. Now I know it's it's a very bold statement to make that No Time to Die is better than Skyfall. Now here's the thing about Skyfall. Skyfall is a really good film. It it just it's it's just a really good film. It's not a really good Bond film. And it's not until uh ha- having watched the previous films, I think the previous films have sort of ruined Skyfall for me. I think the previous films have ruined Skyfall for me a little bit and like a lot of things which we expect from a Bond film just weren't a part of this film and that's why and I just had more fun after watching the film twice and I think I've I've watched Skyfall the most amount of times most number of times uh Casino Royale the next and Casino Royale every time I watch that film I'm like this is this is the best film ever and it's true I have rated it 5 stars on my letterboxd uh and to be honest I rate No Time to Die and Skyfall the same rating 4 and 1/2 stars uh but yeah that after that that after that comes Spectre it's it's a solid 3 star movie not that great but you can watch it and Quantum Solace 2 and 1/2 Cornosaurus is is just that, like Cornosaurus was the first ever Bond movie I ever watched and you know I was like 12 and I watched it it seemed really really cool but I didn't understand shit and I used to think like maybe it's because I'm too young to understand this movie and maybe I am dumb and fast forward 7 9 8 years later I still don't understand the film and i can confidently say that i am not as dumb as that 12 year old version of me so so yeah that was my first signal that this movie itself is trash <laughs> like you you really have to watch this movie in like 0.25x to understand what the hell is going on because it's just it's just too fast paced and the the plot barely makes any sense and 
the individual contained moments and in in some ideas are really really good and i do believe that this movie really had potential and there is an excellent an excellent excellent movie and a very good sequel to casino royale just hiding in plain sight but yeah the the the, the story is really really weak but i do think it's it's an enjoyable watch if you if you are high or something but yeah uh that i gave it a two and a half stars now coming to the fact of course spoiler warning for no time today what do i think about james bond dying james bond dies at the end of this film and what do i think about james bond dying now of course james bond is technically an immortal character uh this franchise has been around for more than 50 years and not more than like about yeah more than 50 years this franchise has been around for more than 50 years and not a single incarnation of bond has ever died on screen it's just uh like you have recasting but those recasting calls are basically unexplained and daniel craig's run and casino royale was the first time that the character actually caught a hard reboot which was actually addressed in the film and you started from the start and you know before that it just it just went at the, uh, with this generic continuity is that every single film is the sequel of the previous one without referencing previous events that much or you know being too tightly coupled with this in that sense i really do think that there is a certain level of nobility in this in this uh, in james bond's death and especially the fact that uh, the reason they gave for you know for him to be okay with his death you know the fact that he won't be able to touch his wife or his daughter uh, after being in contact with that by a weapon <laughs> uh, yeah that was that was pretty emotional that com- that uh, and uh, that last bit of exchange it just felt like a worthy end to a very good incarnation of the character and of course this this will get rebooted and somebody will somebody new will fill in the shoes which daniel craig has left and uh, and of course it's obvious uh, this will get rebooted again in the next few years and somebody else was going to fill in the shoes of James Bond but this feels like a full stop a definite definitive ending and like i said this 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 entire Craig Bond era was all about um making new choices and reinventing the franchise and this film which arguably got the closest to the older films in theme and tone didn't fail to reinvent the franchise again at the end so i think it's it's a solid thumbs up from my end for that and you know and it also kind of puts an puts an official full stop at uh, daniel craig's tenure because after every film you're like will he come back again will he again come back for another one and just removes any kind of an uncertainty about whether is Daniel Craig going 
come back and reprise his role and pull off a Sean Connery or uh, what he did in Never Say Never Again. You know, all that, all that stuff is now hopefully um, avoided. So that's something good. And you, you, people, you can just start with a clean slate. You can, you can adapt any story you want. There are plenty of uh, novels and plenty of short stories by Ian Fleming, which still have been unadapted. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about what comes next. And I'll probably just finish watching the Roger Moore, Roger Moore films, which I avoided. So that's going to complete the set. And yeah, did I talk about Easter eggs? Uh, there were plenty of Easter eggs in this film. Um, I think I'm even forgetting a lot of those. I definitely picked up on them myself and did not watch a YouTube video compilation of uh, 10 Easter eggs you missed. No, I, I didn't do that. I pick, picked up on them myself. Firstly were, of course, the musical motifs returning from Honor Majesty, Majesty Secret Service. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and from that song in that particular film and also the closing credit song. Uh, we have all the time in the world it, it, it's like a very explicit line of dialogue to pay homage to uh from honor majesty secret service and honestly if you haven't watched that film out of I, I think out of all the older films you should definitely watch honor majesty secret service and if, if you if i want to sell you on that i'll just i'll just tell you that it's christopher nolan's favorite bond film if you're not sold even after that i don't know what to say to you man then in easter eggs you have of course the aston martin from goldfinger public favorite uh, but i think it's time to retire that uh, it's a little too old you know of a car to continuously and, and that 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 nostalgia factor is kind of weighing on itself because that's easily the car which has been repeated the most uh, it's been in goldeneye it's been on Skyfall, Spectre, but I think until now, uh, I think this is the first time since Goldfinger that the Aston Martin DB5, was it? Yeah, the DB5 uh, has been so uh, of utility into the story and out of a chase sequence. Uh, but yeah, before that, this, the, it just showed up as, a, as Bond's personal leisure car. But this one in this film, this the, the car kicks ass, and that was really good to see. And then we also get to see the car from License to Kill, and I think it's uh, the Aston Martin V8 or something. I, I I'm I'm really bad with car names, but yeah, uh, that showed up with the exact same license plate, uh, so that was pretty cool. And then you get to see um, portraits of Judy Dench's M, of course. And also Robert Brown's M, uh, who played the character of M in uh, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. So that was easy to pick on. Uh, that was really nice to see. And the whole dyna and and the return of Felix Slater and the whole dynamic between Bond and Felix is so reminiscent of the older films. I absolutely loved it. Uh, this was... This was missing from Skyfall and Spectre, and I'm, I'm just really glad to have Felix back on track. And of course, it's, it's sad that they killed him off after having him back after like two movies. But yeah, the, the way he's killed is also reminiscent of the way he was like almost killed in, I think, License to Kill. So 
Does that count as an Easter egg? I don't know. But yeah, I just threw it in there. Saffin's Lair was really inspired by You Only Live Twice, I would say. And a bunch of other stuff. Uh, the whole forest sequence, I think it reminded me, it gave me golden eye vibes. Um, so yeah, there's stuff like that, you know, thrown throughout the film. And there was stuff which I didn't even pick on because I haven't watched all of them. But yeah, it definitely, it was a, it was a very um, good send-off for Craig Bond. And a very high note to end the end, end this uh subset of a franchise on and i'm really excited to see what comes next so yeah that's basically it for this episode i think this this is easily the it's gonna be the longest one um but yeah i really enjoyed recording this one and up next uh what i'm gonna decide and uh, i'm gonna rewatch all the spider-man films and i'm gonna make a video about that leading up to no way home and then I'm going to watch all the Matrix films and uh, talk about them leading to Matrix Resurrections. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be a busy December. And yeah, meanwhile, if you if you if you're looking for uh, movie recommendations, I'll just uh, it's totally random. But I'll, I highly recommend you to watch Tick Tick Boom on Netflix. Uh, it's it's not something worth making a f full episode about but it's a really good film and yeah apart from that i have been also uh i also watched another andrew garfield movie recently uh under the silver lake it's a pretty it's a pretty messed up film but it's 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 pretty cool believe it or not i watched primer for the first time and i also watched predestination so yeah two time travel movies absolutely love them if you're in it for some mindfuck uh and yeah before that i sort of rewatched a couple of mcu movies uh doctor strange iron man one endgame infinity war and i'll probably rewatch ragnarok and the two guardians movies in uh in some time and i also uh plan to rewatch high school musical sometimes after that i don't know uh yeah don't judge i don't know I'll, let's see uh okay thank you so much for listening to this episode and i'll catch you guys in the next one cheers